you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn once again to the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. This is the third time that we have said that in this chapter, and there is still one passage left in this chapter for us next week. We're going to be looking now at the center section of John 11, at the actual raising of Lazarus from the dead. We've looked at the precursor and of Jesus' ministry to Martha. And now we will see this seventh and greatest sign of our Lord. Our text this morning is from John 11, verse 28, through to verse 44. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and calling her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went with him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. 
Lord, we ask that you would use your word mightily in our lives. That you would teach us, Lord, more about the Lord Jesus Christ. But more than that, that you, O Lord, would make us more like our Savior. That we would see him for who he is. And that by the power of your Spirit, you would make us in his image. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. One of the great challenges for mankind is to know and understand God. Philosophers have wondered for ages about who God is. And they have tried to theorize what he is like. Other people have imagined God, creating God in their own image, making him a larger version of everyday people. But knowing God is essential for understanding ourselves and our place in the world. The Bible gives us a great deal of information about God. It is a faithful source for the knowledge of God. But the clearest source for understanding God is Jesus. Because more than just information about God, Jesus is God. <clears throat> he is visible for us. In Jesus, we can see how God relates to us, cares for us, and provides for us. So this morning, in the remarkable miracle of raising Lazarus, we see two things. First, that Jesus shows us the character of God. In Jesus, we see God's character. Second, Jesus shows us the power of God. What God is capable of is seen in the works of Jesus. The character of God and the power of God. Well, you remember the scene where we have been now these past few weeks. Jesus had just heard that his friend Lazarus was deathly ill. And John told us that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And that because of his love for them, he waited two extra days to depart for Bethany. Then we heard that Lazarus died. Jesus knew that Lazarus had died and he went to Mary and Martha even though the authorities in Bethany had just tried to kill him. And Martha, when she heard that the master was on the way, that Jesus was here, she comes to Jesus. She rushes to find him. And she first proclaims Jesus' power in verse 21. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's acknowledging the power of Jesus that he could have prevented Lazarus' death. And then she goes on to proclaim her trust in Jesus in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She knows that Jesus has a confidence 
that is well-placed. And then she professes, you will recall from last week, the general promise of God about the resurrection in verse 24. I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus then tells her that he is more than that. He is more than just one who will recount to her the promises of God. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God. He tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And her response is to make a great profession of faith in verse 27. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's the scene that is set. And now we are about to see Jesus reveal to us the character of God. Now Martha wants Mary to see Jesus. Mary has been, you will recall, at home, sitting. She is overwhelmed with her grief. She is not able to go and to be about. She is simply sitting in the home. Even when she hears that Jesus is nearby, she can't bring herself to get up and to go see him. Martha rushes off, but Mary stays behind, discouraged, grieving. Martha, however, comes back to Mary and she tells her in verse 28, the teacher is here. And these words, and he is calling for you. And as soon as Mary hears that, she rises up quickly and goes to Jesus. Mary wants to see Jesus. She knows that Jesus is not only here, but he has a word for her. He wants to see her. And she puts aside her grief and gets up and rushes to see Jesus. Mary knew and loved Jesus. And that was enough to give her hope. Do you have hope this morning? Because if you are faced with hard circumstances, if you are grieving, Jesus is not here to minimize your circumstances. He's not here to tell you that you should just get over it or that it's not that big of a deal. No, Jesus is here to give you hope in the midst of trials and circumstances. And so Mary gets up and goes to Jesus and the other mourners follow. It's interesting because they had come from Jerusalem. They were here mourning with Martha and Mary. Some of them probably knew them well. Others might have been what in Jesus' day were called professional mourners. Those who were paid to wail and cry and mourn and bring about a feeling of sadness. Well, they look at each other, I imagine, and they see Martha's gone and Mary's gone. And what do we do? We can't just stay by ourselves in the home. Let's go follow. And so just because of those circumstances, they are going to be witnesses to one of the greatest miracles on earth. Mary comes and Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her weeping. And she says to Jesus almost verbatim what Martha had said earlier. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In our English translation, it is exactly the same. 
In the Greek, it is only slightly different. We see that Martha and Mary are of one mind. They are related, so we should not be surprised. They both know Jesus. They both know what he's capable of. They both loved their brother. And so Mary expresses this to Jesus. But the most significant thing that John points out to us is not Mary's speech, but rather her weeping. Look with me at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, notice that there is much going on here. Mary rushes out. She falls at Jesus' feet. She begs him and expresses to him the desire that he would have been here before. All of the other mourners are out here weeping. And Jesus sees Mary's tears. She is distraught. The word for weeping here means to wail, to cry out. This is the kind of crying that is loud with yelling and loud noises and sobbing and having to gasp for air. This is no quiet kind of crying. It's obvious to everyone who is around her. It's not something that could be easily ignored. And Jesus does not ignore it. Now, more about Jesus' emotions in just a minute. But for now, I want us to see how Jesus responded. We see it in verse 35. Jesus wept. So simply put. So profound. It's the easiest verse in all of the Bible to memorize. And yet it's one of the greatest statements about Jesus. Jesus was not disinterested. He did not look past Mary. He was not thinking about what he would do next. He did not try to get her to stop weeping and crying. No, he enters into her grief. But it's important for us to see that Jesus' weeping is different than Mary's. Even though the same English word is used, there are two Greek words that underlie these weepings. I've told you that Mary's weeping was a loud, boisterous, crying out. Jesus' weeping was quiet. Tears rolling down his face. It's different. Because you see, Jesus knows what he will do. Jesus knows Lazarus is coming back. Mary's grief is pushed to an extreme because she believes she has lost her brother forever. Jesus is weeping, not because of Lazarus' death, but because of Mary and Martha's grief. He knows that things will get better for Mary. But Jesus doesn't try to rationalize with her. He cares for her. And this is something that we need to understand about Jesus and about God. You need to know that God sees your tears. You know, often we think, we cry, we are sad, 
And no one sees us. No one recognizes us. No one enters into our grief. But the Gospel of John here tells us that God sees your tears. Remember, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We see God most clearly in his actions. And Jesus' actions here are consistent with how God is described in the Bible. God sees our weeping. He sees our tears. The psalmist writes in Psalm 6, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And then again in Psalm 9, For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And you may remember the story back in the kingdom of Judah. When the prophet came to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, and told him that his death was close at hand. And Hezekiah wept and prayed to the Lord and asked that if somehow his life could be extended. And the response of the Lord we see in 2 Kings chapter 20. He tells his prophet, turn back. And say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. God sees the tears of his people. But even more than that, the Bible tells us that God treasures up our tears. In Psalm 56 we read, you have kept count of my tossings. Now, do you know what that means? Have you ever been so grieved, so sad that you couldn't sleep? That you thought you'd find sleep on your left side. And then you tossed to your right side. And then you went to your back. And then maybe you got up and then got down. You can't find sleep. That's what the psalmist is describing here. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You see what the psalmist is saying there. God not only knows and cares for you and your sorrow and your tears, he treasures them. He puts them in a bottle. Now, I dare say that I have great care and concern when my wife cries. I have great concern when my children cry. But I don't put their tears in a bottle. I don't treasure them up and remember them for years to come. God does. That's how much he sees your grief. That's how much he cares about your grief. God is not apathetic and unfeeling. He is not without emotion. Now, God's emotions are not like our emotions because they're not mixed with sin. And God's emotions do not indicate a change in God as they do in us. But God's emotions are real. We have emotions because we are made in the image of God. Because God first had emotions. And so you need to hear today that you have a Savior who enters into your sorrow and grieves with you. But you will notice that there are more than tears from Jesus. 
In fact, before Jesus weeps, we see something else in verse 33. He was, John tells us, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, what does that mean? These are interesting words. They're so interesting that they give many people trouble. Deeply moved is more than being overly emotional. And we might ask ourselves, how could Jesus be greatly troubled? Isn't he in full control? Doesn't he know how this is all going to turn out? The key here is in the words, deeply moved. What they mean in the original, you may have an insight. Your Bible may have a footnote at that point, which reads, or was indignant. This is a helpful footnote to get us to the original Greek. Jesus is indignant at what has happened. Let me put it more plainly. Jesus is angry. He is outraged at the death of Lazarus. Not because there's nothing he can do. We know what he will do shortly. You see, when we are outraged, we are typically outraged at an injustice that we cannot fix. We're outraged because someone is sentenced for a crime that they're not guilty of and that can't be undone. Or that someone has been harmed and we can't fix what has been done. That's where our outrage comes from. Not Jesus is here. We're going to see in just a moment, Jesus is going to make We might use the phrase, everything right again. But he's still outraged at what has happened. What does this mean? Well, some try to resolve this by saying Jesus was angry at the hypocritical mourning of the visitors from Jerusalem. That they had come from Jerusalem to Bethany. They might have been professional mourners. They might have not known Mary and Martha. And they were putting on a show, as was done in those days. Others say, no, it's probably that Jesus was angry at Mary and Martha's unbelief. He had just told them he was the resurrection and the life. He had told Martha that her brother would rise again. And now here they are thinking that he's gone, that Jesus has missed his opportunity. And in just a moment we'll see that they don't even want the stone to be rolled away because they think he is beyond living again. But that doesn't fit with the scene that we have before us. That's kind of a theological fix to make us feel better. You see, what we actually see going on here is Jesus is weeping with Mary and Martha, not angry with them. He cares for them. No, I think it's much better to see that Jesus is indignant and angry at death itself. Now, we may picture Jesus as being aloof, as being unaffected by what's going on around him, as being almost passive as things are happening. And this is, if I am honest, one of the great problems that we have with visible pictures of Jesus. They give us a false impression of who he is. He's often depicted as being passive, aloof, without emotion, But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus was not unengaged. Death roused Jesus' anger. 
You see, Jesus knows this is not how the world is supposed to be. We take it for granted, but Jesus does not. You see, we see problems in the world, disasters and death, and we are tempted to blame God. Jesus knows God is not to blame. That this is the result of sin. That death comes from sin. And Jesus is angry at the state of the world. He knows that death is an enemy to be defeated. It is a weapon in the hand of the enemy of our souls. The devil. The theologian B.B. Warfield puts it this way. Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Jesus is thinking about his mission. He's thinking about how sin and death have racked the world that he created. And this gives us insight into God. Why did God choose to redeem a people? Why did the Father send the Son into the world? Why did the Son choose to suffer the indignity of the cross, the wrath of God, and death itself? Was God just fulfilling some unemotional, theoretical plan? No. God hates sin and death. He hates what it does to us. He hates what it does to his creation. And so Jesus comes to the grave not just as a weeper, but as a warrior. He will begin to show us how he will destroy death. What is your view of sin? Do you hate sin? Not just others' sin against you, but do you hate your own sin? Do you want to destroy sin, to be free from sin? If you are a follower of Jesus, then you will follow his intentions to destroy sin. And you should also see that your hope is to believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus told Martha and Mary. You might feel right now helpless against sin, death, and grief. <coughs> but Jesus is not helpless. If you trust in him, he will care for you, love you, and even conquer death for you. And that's the next thing that we see. The power of God in Jesus. It is important that we see Jesus' emotion. That we see his care for us and his anger at sin and death. But what makes that significant is when we see that Jesus is able to resolve that problem. To conquer death. Even those around him saw that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We see that in verse 36. See how he loved him. 
But there were still some who used this as an occasion to attack Jesus. They said in verse 37, couldn't he have stopped this man from dying? He healed a blind man. Couldn't he have prevented this death? And so Jesus comes to the tomb, and once again, his anger is aroused in verse 38. He is deeply moved again. The same word. He is indignant. He is angry. And he is there to show everyone just what he thinks of death. He's about to give visible hope to the ones he loves. He is about to act swiftly and decisively. And so in verse 39, he says, take away the stone. The theologian Herman Ritterboss puts it this way, enough now of tears and wailing. Enough honor has been bestowed on death. Against the power of death, God's glory will now enter the arena. Jesus is telling Martha, who had professed faith in him, that if she believes, she will see. You know the old saying that we use, seeing is believing? Well, Jesus is saying, believing is seeing. That if you believe, you will see. And that starts and applies to you and me also. We must start with God's word. His word is enough. When we believe God, then we will see. When we believe what God tells to us about our salvation, we will see and receive our salvation. There is nothing more to do. It begins and ends with God's word. Now Martha is still not so sure. She knows her brother is very dead. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And her answer is, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now that is a very polite way of putting this phrase. I've told you before and I'll tell you again, my favorite translation of this is the authorized version. Lord, he stinketh. He's decaying. He's not who he once was. He's past the point of no return, Lord. Why would you want to roll the stone away and embarrass all of us? But yet, Jesus' response is more than enough for her. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And she does believe. We know this because she acts on it. She has them do the unthinkable. Roll away the stone. It makes absolutely no sense to roll away the stone. Lazarus has been dead four days. There is no hope for him. There are no electric paddles that will bring him back. There is no CPR that will help him. He is literally rotting in the tomb. But she believes. And then Jesus shows us the glory of God. First, in his prayer, John tells us that he looked up, lifted his eyes in verse 41. Now, this is interesting because John is using a play on words. In verse 41, it says, So they took away the stone 
and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And it's the same verb in both sentences. They lifted up the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And John wants us to see that Jesus is teaching us that we cannot be focused on our circumstances. Martha is focused on the tomb, on the dead body, on the stone. Jesus is looking past circumstances to God because he knows the power of God and he knows the will of God. Martha was having trouble because she was looking at the grave, not God. But then secondly, I want you to see the boldness and the confidence of Jesus in verse 41. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I want to ask you, have you ever prayed like that? I doubt it. You might have prayed with great confidence. Lord, I know you will hear me. Or you may have prayed with less confidence. Father, please hear my prayer. Not Jesus. Jesus says, I know you have already heard me. I've prayed. You have heard me. And your glory is about to be seen. There is no doubt in Jesus' mind. Because, of course, Jesus knows his Father. Look at verse 42. I knew that you always hear me. I, I know the relationship we have. I know who you are. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. That's why he said this. To give witness to the world of the glory of God. You have an opportunity in your life to follow Jesus in this. To look to the Lord in the midst of trouble. To trust the Lord and to declare that to those who are around you. Secondly, we see not just Jesus' prayer, but we see his action. He simply calls Lazarus to come out. Now, it has been said, and I think it's true, that Jesus had to call Lazarus by name because if he had not, everyone would have come out of their graves when he said, come out. You may remember the scene at the crucifixion when the graves gave up their dead. So Jesus has to be very specific. Now, he didn't need to shout so that Lazarus could hear him. It's not that he has to yell across time and space for Lazarus to somehow come back from the place of the dead. No, Jesus cried out because he was expressing his divine authority that could not be resisted. Death had no power there. The devil could not restrain Lazarus. Jesus had spoken. And the one who spoke and the universe came into existence spoke and Lazarus came back to life. And Lazarus comes out, bound in his grave clothes. Now, it's almost humorous. He's bound you have to have the picture here. Lazarus is coming out probably partially waddling, partially hopping, because he's bound in a linen cloth with his feet bound together and his arms bound to his side. And he's got a cloth over his face. Do you believe what the Bible tells us here? If you do, how can you not have hope with Jesus? The one who conquered death 
itself. Jesus is the one you can trust with your marriage, with your children, with your college future, with your future life, with your hope for a spouse. Jesus is the one you can trust. Now one final word about Jesus and death, shown by Lazarus and this picture of him being bound hands and feet. Do you wonder why John gives us that detail in verse 44? It's not essential to the story, but it is a very vivid, memorable image, isn't it? Of Lazarus coming out almost like a mummy, not really able to walk. It has to do with something else that we've talked about a great deal with this gospel. Remember the division of the gospel of John. The first 11 chapters are called the book of signs. And this is the seventh and greatest sign that Jesus has given. And chapters 12 until the end are the book of glory. Where the glory of God is seen culminating in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What Jesus is doing here is a precursor to his ultimate defeat of death. Later in this gospel, we will see Jesus rise from the dead. But it is described differently than Lazarus's. John writes, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Jesus had brought Lazarus back to a mortal life. Lazarus would die again, and he had to be unwrapped from his grave clothes. But Jesus, in his resurrection, has defeated death forever. His resurrection was to a new spiritual body, never to die again. And that is what he has done for you and me. Our promise is not the promise of Lazarus. Our promise is the promise of Jesus' resurrection. We've said it before, but I never get tired of saying it. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus knows you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus came to earth so that you would have eternal life and fellowship with God. He has shown you his power to accomplish that here today with Lazarus. Today is the day to trust Jesus. Today is the day to come out when Jesus calls. Today is the day to live in the power of Christ. Let's pray.